Hello, I'm Jared. And I'm Larry. And today, we have a special Olympics edition of KPOY's Vikes on Mics. Stay tuned for a preview of the 2018 games in Pyeongchang. Also, what's the latest with North Korea? How is doping affecting the games? What kind of sports will differentiate the 2018 Olympics from other games? And hey, we have Palo Alterns representing us in the Olympics. Stay tuned for all that and more. First up, the Olympics start on February 8th, with the opening ceremony beginning on the 9th. There's going to be a wide variety of ambassadors representing the Olympics, including South Korean President Moon Jae-in. Now, the first ever Jamaican women's bobsled team qualified for the Olympics this year. They're also going to be driven by a former Olympic American bobsledder who competed in the 2014 Games, uh, Jasmine Fenlader Victorian. Well, this comes 30 years after the men's Jamaican team qualified and competed in a very, very unlikely fashion, Jared. And, you know, it inspired a Disney movie, so let's see what this team can do. Mm-hmm. Also, if you want to check it out, the movie's called Cool Runnings. So, this is going to be Lindsey Vaughn's fourth time qualifying for the Olympics, and potentially it could be the legendary skier's final time competing. For the first time since 1998, the National Hockey League will not take a break during the season to allow players to play in the Olympics. Well, Larry, how do you think this will affect the long-standing U.S. and Canada rivalry in the Games? I feel that it will be less competitive because the best players in the world aren't competing for their countries. So for Team USA, there's going to be AHL players such as Chris Bork and Ryan Malone. The AHL is the NHL's developmental league. Figure skater Nathan Chen, who in 2010 predicted that he would be in the 2018 Olympics, he is in the 2018 Olympics and he predicted this on live TV, so there is evidence that he called that he would be in the Olympics. So, best of luck Nathan. Also, legendary figure skater Evgeny Plushenko says it might be the best figure skating competition ever, citing more quadruple jumps and injuries to top competitors. Yeah, these injuries leave the door open for young standouts such as Japan's Yuzuru Hanyu and the USA's Chen. Also, Tonga's Peter Tafatafoa qualified this year as a skier. He became an online sensation at Rio when he showed up as a flag bearer, oily and shirtless. At the Rio Games, he was a Taekwondo competitor and he became a cult hero on Twitter where I saw several memes about him. Now, Rule 40. Larry, can you tell us more? Rule 40 is not Peter Taftafua. It's not funny, and it's not really a meme. Bald Worldwide CEO Brian Cristiano explained some of the aspects of Rule 40 in a video he made. Rule 40 prevents unofficial sponsors, athletes, trainers, coaches, from advertising themselves or capitalizing on their image in any way, including social media. So, this is very similar to the MCAA, where athletes are not going to be paid for their participation in the Olympics. So, since they can't make money from advertising either. So, Larry, does this count as athlete exploitation? It definitely does. One of the main concerns about the NCAA is athlete exploitation, where the association makes money, but the athletes aren't allowed to, and they're not allowed to have sponsors either, meaning their performance goes without pay. In the Olympics, athletes are allowed to have sponsors, but they're not allowed to talk about them publicly during the Olympics, meaning the possible two biggest weeks of some athletes' lives are going for without pay, while the IOC makes a lot of revenue. Now, while it's somewhat controversial, this rule is not a new rule. And in 2016, for example, the Olympics tried to restrict athletes and non-official sponsors from retweeting the official Olympics Twitter accounts. Some of the words banned during this period included 2016, Rio, Rio de Janeiro, gold, silver, bronze, medal, 
effort, performance, challenge, summer, games, sponsors, victory, Olympia, Olympic, Olympics, Olympic Games, Olympiad, Olympiads, and cities Altius 40s. So our next topic is going to be the latest news on North Korea's involvement in this year's games. Now, as we know, the games are going to be held in Pyeongchang, South Korea. So this is a pretty close proximity to North Korea, only 50 miles from the demilitarized zone between the two countries. Larry, do you think this is going to cause any tensions? Well, I'm not sure because the two countries are going to be marching together at the Olympics and they're going to field the joint women's hockey team. I don't know if North Korea is going to be hostile during this period, at least to South Korea. So that's right. This continues a trend of improved relations between the two countries, at least in the world of sports. For example, in 2017, North Korea sent a hockey team down to the south and South Korea sent a soccer team to North Korea. Now, this could be interesting because North Korea has typically kept to itself in previous Olympic Games, and this year we could see them staying in a cruise ship. Having a North Korean delegation lowers the risk of an attack, but South Korea is still arming several guards. North Korea doesn't want to injure its athletes, and South Koreans have called these games the Peace Games. We can definitely see efforts from both sides trying to bring together unification, as Cho Myung-gyun, the Secretary of the Ministry of Unification, has said, the most important spirit of the inter-Korean talks is mutual respect. Also, North Korean president, dictator, whatever you want to call him, Kim Jong-un, has said, we truly wish the South a successful Olympics. He's also said that the nukes are only aimed at the U.S. In the past, the USSR and East Germany had used medals won in the Olympics as propaganda. These countries are both very successful typically and use the medals to prove their dominance to its citizens. Now, North Korea has not done so with the Summer Games medals they have won, so it seems unlikely it would start uh, such a trend now. A figure skating duo consisting of Kim Ju Sik and Ryum Tai Ok spoke several times with press during a figure skating competition and seemed very open, not wearing pins of Kim Jong Il or Kim Jong Un, and they didn't praise him for their success. For example, in the 2012 Olympics, weightlifter Kim Un-guk said he won first place because the shining supreme commander, Kim Jong-un, gave him, quote, power and courage, end quote. Well, Jared, this came to the 2012 Olympics, so it was a very big stage, and he was on the view of basically everyone in the world. Exactly. It's a big audience. And we'll see if that happens in this Olympics, but it doesn't look likely so far, but we'll just have to wait and see. Next, we're going to talk about doping. This year, as most of uh, people in the U.S. probably know from the media, 43 athletes from Russia were banned from the Olympics for doping, and 42 of these were appealed and 11 were upheld. With the rest of the decisions coming soon, before the Olympics start. Yeah, exactly. Despite the bans, Russia will send 169 athletes to the Olympics this year. They are all going to be competing independently of the Russian Federation, and if Russians want to compete, they would have to prove that they were not involved in doping. Uh, this is contrary to 2016, where in the Summer Olympics, the entire Russian team was not banned, and it was only select members. For example, the entire track and field team was banned. This story was covered heavily in the documentary Icarus. This relates to the story of Grigory Rodchenkov, who was the former director of Russia's anti-doping facility, the Anti-Doping Center. He administered performance-enhancing drugs, or PEDs, to Russian athletes without getting caught. Yeah, it's really ironic because how the director of anti-doping actually helped facilitate the Russian doping scandal. Also, cyclist Erwan Menthor said, For two years, I took EPO, growth hormone, anabolic steroids, testosterone, amphetamine, just about everything. That was part of the job. He said that using PEDs were a normal part of his career, along with actually cycling, which further proves the point that using PEDs with the right techniques makes them almost impossible to, to detect. 
in the film Brian Fogel, he decided to um, use PEDs on himself and then try to win a marathon. In his free time, he just injected himself with PEDs, like not randomly, but he worked with Rachenkov. And then he injected PEDs in himself to win this race in the Swiss Alps. Well, he did so to test whether or not he would be caught, and he wasn't. So. Exactly. Like, he tried to replicate the uh, the process of Lance Armstrong. In today's modern world, there's a lot of incentive to succeed, and a suspension for steroids or some other PED is a very small price to pay compared to the millions and millions of dollars in advertising and contracts. I believe that PEDs might level the playing field if they're regulated correctly. Former NFL lineman Bryant McKinney said, Athletes cheat because of players like me. My size and strength is hard to beat. Some of these athletes have families to feed, and they, in turn, take drugs to compete with big guys like me. He also said, the drugs, the regimen, and how to avoid the detection are offered and readily available through the support ecosystem. Regulating the drugs might make the playing stage fair. One of the reasons McKinney is for the regulation of PEDs is that it would eliminate the physical aspect of sports. In this way, people who aren't as physically gifted as McKinney would be able to compete with him. Well, some doctors disagree, though, because, for example, doctors Leon Creany and Anna Vande, they say that the arguments are moral, not medical, because athletes who wanted to live a healthy lifestyle and did not want to use PEDs, they would be pushed out of existence because they would not be able to compete at the same level as these other, uh, as these other athletes. Now, doping doesn't have any major health effects, but these doctors say that it is immoral. And if PEDs were made legal, the competition would move from on-field to off-field. But at the same time, it would eliminate the physical aspect of sports, and it would el eliminate physical requirements like being tall or being stronger than someone. Oxford professor Julian Savulescu says, By allowing everyone to take drugs, we level the playing field. Far from being unfair, allowing performance enhancement promotes equality. This quote agrees with what McKinney said, and Savulescu, like McKinney, agrees that PEDs should be allowed in a regulated standard because they would reduce or outright eliminate the physical advantages that some have. In a society where equality is heavily pushed for, this would eliminate inequality in sports. Well, Larry, does equality necessarily say to fairness, though? In a way, yes, because you wouldn't have just tall people in the NBA or just strong people playing linemen in the NFL. Well, we have to discuss if it's relative fairness or absolute fairness. So Larry, absolute fairness would be if you give everybody the same height stool to step on so they can all have a boost of two feet, for example. Relative fairness would be if you gave everyone equal distance stools so that they would all be at the same height. Now, if steroid usage or doping was to be regulated in a way where everyone would be exactly equal, so for example, the really strong athletes would have like a little bit of doping, and then the really weak athletes would have a ton of doping, this would actually be pretty fair. But this is not how it works in the, in the sports field, because everybody's going to be taking as many steroids as they can to get as strong as they can. So uh, basically, the strongest athletes would still have the advantage, because they would have the genetic advantages. I think we could both come to a consensus that they should be regulated in some way. They shouldn't just be a free-for-all, right Larry? Yeah, sure. Well, with that note, you guys can send us your opinions on PEDs. Send us an email at pallyradio at gmail.com. On a more alarming note, let's shift over to talking about climate change. Daniel Scott, a researcher at the University of Waterloo, compared locations of previous Winter Olympics to the future climate models 
and he concluded that nine of the last 21 locations would be too hot to handle the games by 2050. Additionally, in the U.S., snow seasons are expected to shorten by 50% in 2050 and 80% by 2090. This means that the U.S. would basically be incapable of holding the Winter Olympics by 2050. Now, snow sports need snow. Even with artificial snow, there still might be not enough to compete at a competitive level. Well, artificial snow isn't that good even, because in 2010, the Vancouver Games used artificial snow, and athletes complained that the snow was really poor quality, and it led to unfair conditions because it was really rocky and not that good. So, it's becoming increasingly more difficult for athletes to prepare for the Olympics. And as the snow melts, uh, athletes are going to have to travel to other countries to be able to practice. Alright, All right, so let's talk about new sports. There's four of them. Big air and snowboarding, mixed team alpine skiing, mass start and speed skating, and mixed curlings. So, big air and snowboarding is exactly how it sounds. Competitors go down a really big ramp and they do tricks. The ramp in Pyeongchang is 49 feet tall. It's the tallest in the world. Now, mixed team alpine skiing is men and women together, hence the name mixed. And the uh, goal is to avoid the individual aspect of previous competitions. So it's going to be two men and two women per team, and they're going to compete in gender alternating heats. Mass started speed skating is basically where everyone starts at the same position and the same time. It's very similar to a NASCAR race, and some athletes have called it the NASCAR of ice. And finally, mixed doubles and curling is just the same as curling, but it's mixed, so it's a guy and a girl. The men's and women's snowboard parallel slalom was dropped from the Olympics to make room for these new events. They were added based on their added value, youth appeal, attractiveness for TV, media and general public, gender equality, minimum impact of the number of events and or quotas, and infrastructure and operational cost and complexity. On a more local scale, uh, let's talk about our two Palo Altans that are going to be representing us in the Olympics this year. So Vincent Zhou is uh, 17 years old and he's a figure skater. He lived in Palo Alto and went to school at Hoover and he's, he's good. At only 17 years old, he's won a bronze medal at the 2018 U.S. Figure Skating Championship and a gold medal at the 2017 World Junior Championships. He's the youngest member of the 2018 figure skating team, and he is going alongside Nathan Chen, an 18-year-old, and Adam Rapon, 28. Yeah, and back in 2017, he suffered a dislocated shoulder following a failed attempt at a quadruple salto jump. But he should be okay by the Olympics. Yay! Next up, Joanne Reed. She's a 26-year-old biathlete, which means she cr cross-country skis and she shoots and she graduated from Gunn in 2009. This is going to be the first Olympics Games for both of these athletes, so we wish the best of luck to both of them. Oh yeah. Well that's all we have for today. Tune in next time for more of KPOY's Vikes on Mics.